Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. And that's what it feels like. It feels like the three rolled into one uh, today. I'm Ed Krasnick. My co-host is Jennifer Kalari. Welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. And this is the show where we talk about mental health issues. We talk about them with comedians, with entertainers, uh, with all kinds of performing artists. We talk about it and we practice mental health and resilience skills because I don't know if you heard that, but somebody is trying to get in here. Uh, maybe it's the government. We, we practice mental health skills. We practice resilience skills because mental health is a practice. We say it. We mean it. I try it in my own life a little bit. Need to try a lot more. But mental health comes with, uh, it seems like it comes with awareness, with making choices about how you relate to your thoughts and feelings. If you're doing those kind of things in your life, turn the podcast off right now. No, don't turn it mm -hmm. off. Stay with us. Those are the things that we're looking at in our culture, in our society. And today, we have a great guest. I'm really excited about this because I've always uh, respected him as a comic, but in following the kinds of things that he's been writing about that I've read about in his life, I really am interested and respect him as a person. And that's Suli McCullough. Suli has done a lot of things. I mean, he, one of the things that I love is, is HBO's documentary, The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. Suli and Gary were very close and he's part of that process. He's also written for SNL, for the ESPY Awards, for Lopez Tonight, for The Tonight Show. He's a writer, he's a performer, he's a producer, he's a director, very fine stand-up. And so Suli's gonna come and join us in just a few minutes. Today, there's a few things that, that I wanted to talk about. And one is the last time we spoke, we didn't have a mob attack the White House. We didn't have that situation happening. And I wanna to talk today about the connection between racism, politics, and reaction and self-care. That's what I wanna talk about because I think, maybe I'm completely out of my mind here, but the last thing that anybody ever talks about with those subjects is mental health. Nobody ever mentions mental health. The people who are doing these things are not well. They're not well. They didn't make a choice. They didn't just say, I'm gonna go attack the White House. They didn't just do these things. They are not well mentally. And there's a problem. And a lot of people are not well mentally because mental health is making choices about how you relate to your thoughts and feelings. How many people do that? When you're in a world of survival, you're not making choices. You're reacting. And when you react, you make an ass out of you and me. No, I, uh, when you react, you know, when I react, I'm not thinking, I'm not, I'm not conscious, I'm not clear. And I'm blaming other people and I have anger and, and I have fear and not love and choice. I have anger and I have fear and that's my life. I'm just saying we all go in and out of that, but no one talks about the fact that mental health plays a big role in what's happening in our culture with the major social issues of our time. No one talks about it, okay? So we're gonna talk a little bit about it today. We'll talk about other things too. I wanna, of course, start the show as we always do with some emotional shout outs. No matter what emotional state you're in, uh, we welcome you to the show. Here are our emotional shout outs. If you thought watching the mob descend on the Capitol building was a new season of Homeland, welcome. If you assumed Wonder Woman 84 was about Wonder Woman as a senior citizen, welcome. If you have a new recipe for impeachment pie that you're trying out, welcome. If your therapist has your session while they're doing a Peloton workout, welcome. If you think there should be a sanity level rating for every person interviewed on cable news, welcome. If you wish monologues by James Earl Jones could be piped into live sporting events instead of fake crowd noise, welcome. And if you would sign a petition to change the lyrics of This Land is Your Land, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, 
there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. There are some shows happening. There's a new series called The Humanitizer. It's a new sci-fi series where the worst moments in behavior in history are reversed by the humanitizer and the technology. And this is an exciting new program. It's those who don't reverse history are condemned to repeat it in syndication. The humanitizer says, make America human again, or for the first time, perhaps. I want to bring in right now a visitor from the North and from the South, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, mental health as a social issue. I mean, what do you think about that? Why don't we ever have conversations about mental health as it relates to people in the news and people doing these things? You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's something we don't even really think about, but we should be thinking about. I mean, I think about it all the time as a therapist and in my work, as I work with parents raising children, the focus is, is on raising healthy, happy humans because healthy, happy humans behave in very different ways, right? They're, they're nicer people, they're kinder people, they're, they're, they are operating from a place of, of love and safety, not fear. That's at the bottom of everything, everything you were just talking about. Humans only have two emotions, really, love and fear. So anger and rage and gossip and cheating and lying and racism and all of that, it's all fear. And in many cases, it's terror. Finding ways to, to humanitize is actually really important. Um, and I think it is a conversation that we need to be having. And I think there's been a lot of stigma about mental health. You know, there's still people who think if you're not mentally healthy or weak, you know, my whole thing is to help people understand emotions, their information, it's communication, it's learning how to control your emotions so your emotions don't control you. And these are important skills. And most of us don't even know that they need to be learned. We think we are our emotions, but we're not. Or the observer and the experiencer of them. So recovery, recovery and reaction. Let's talk about those two things for a minute. Reaction, when you're in a state of survival, you're reacting. So mm-hmm. you, you talk a lot about this, that, that it's a brain thing. You're, you're being ruled by your fight or flight brain, by your midbrain. Yeah, by the survival program in your brain. Yes. And, it's a, and it's a program. Mm-hmm. How do we take this opportunity in history? Now, I'm, I'm just putting this out there. I'm not saying it's your responsibility that you have to come up with the answer. But yeah. how do we go from reaction to recovery? How do we do that? What, what are some skills that are very basic yeah. that can help us go from reaction to recovery? And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the feelings that you have in your life. I'm talking about when you put on MSNBC and you watch people attacking people with a flagpole, mm-hmm. how do you go from that experience to getting back to recovery? Well, listen, that's a, that's a big question and it's a process, right? It's not a switch in your brain. So th- the first thing I wanna talk about is the survival program. So that we all have that part of our brain and it's designed to keep us alive and it's designed to keep us safe. Unfortunately, that part of our brain is very primitive. It's very primal, it's not too bright. And it doesn't care if you're watching something on TV, if your kid didn't hang up their backpack, if you're dealing with something huge, if your heart rate goes up, if your breathing changes, it will flip you over into fight, flight, or freeze. And the frontal lobe's job is to decide, is this really an emergency? Is this a big deal? Is this something that I can actually control? Am I actually in danger in this moment? But that part goes offline. And that's the scary part. So when you talk about people reacting, it's like the frontal lobe, the part of the brain that regulates, takes perspective, thinks about the big picture. Is this who I really want to be? Goes offline. And that's where it gets really scary. So the first thing we have to recognize is that's a program and it's designed to keep us safe. Now, anger, which is a really interesting emotion, we can only be angry, truly angry for about 90 seconds. It's a program in the brain to help us run away from something or attack something that's going to eat us. And for nine, we have about 90 second burst of energy to respond to that thing. After 90 seconds, it's a choice. So if you think about something that happens in our lives or even just watching the news and getting mad about what you're watching, every 90 seconds, you review it in your mind. I can't believe that, unbelievable. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe they did that. And now we're a new 90 seconds. 
So after 90 seconds, there's a, there's a very small pause where you can make a choice and you can ask yourself, or you can observe, what am I doing in this moment? Who do I want to be in this moment? Am I contributing to the problem in this moment? Or I'm going to be, am I going to be the best version of myself in this moment? And this Ed takes practice. This is why there's no switch, right? This is something that you have to constantly be aware of and every 90 seconds make a decision. Who do I want to be in this moment? So you observe, you recognize that your heart is racing. You say to yourself, am I in physical danger in this moment? Is, is this an emergency? Am I contributing to something that I don't want to contribute to? Allow yourself to feel whatever you're feeling, register those feelings and emotions, change your breath, anchor yourself, try to rise above that moment and access your humanity, which we all have access to once our fight or flight mechanism is turned off. So you say change your breath. So I wake up in the morning and I'm ready to go down to Washington. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing my flag. My flagpole is in my truck. Here I go. And let's just pretend. And I'm saying, let's pretend that I'm really angry and I'm really stirred up by somebody who's leading me mm -hmm. that, that, that some wrong has been done. And I, the only way to right the wrong is to go down and with physical force. That's mm -hmm. the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. what, what, what could I do? So, okay, let me say something bigger about this first. First of all, and this is a universal truth, everyone's the good guy in their story. Okay, that's the truth. They're not thinking they're bad guys. They're thinking they're saving their country. They're thinking they're doing something heroic and amazing. And we can like that or not like that or hate that, but that's the truth. I'm pretty sure that nobody in that scene felt like they were the bad guy. And it's a shock and there's cognitive dissonance to find out, oh my God, I'm actually the bad guy, right? That's, a, that's not an easy thing to understand in any situation. So, and again, what's happening when a crowd is being whipped up and when you're having conversations with people who don't challenge you, you don't, you don't hear another side, you don't watch anything else, you don't listen to anything else, you don't have conversations with anyone else about it, you don't even know there's another side. So, and then as people are whipping each other up, another 90 seconds and another 90 seconds and another 90 seconds until the crowd is wild. All we can really do as individuals is find this moment in between those 90 seconds where we ask ourselves, who am I? Who do I want to be in this moment? It's really just about being a good human. What does that mean? And it's very difficult. That mob mentality is, and that bloodlust is something that's been around for since the beginning of time. It is a thing. And all that can break you out of that is awareness and asking yourself the question, who am I in this moment? Who do I want to be in this moment? And some people, honestly, Ed, some people can't do it. They're too trapped in, in almost an, an adolescent or even childlike state of not questioning the world around them. And that is, you know, as hard as this is, if we get angry at them, then we're not asking ourselves the same question. There has to be this moment where we think, to be in that state, you have to be, what does their, what do their lives look like to be in that much pain that that seems like a good idea? Like what on earth is going on? Finding a place where you think, okay, that's sad. Finding empathy in that moment, which is very difficult, is the only thing that's going to lift any of us out of this nightmare. Instead of joining the reaction, like mm -hmm. I wish I could go down there and, and teach them a lesson. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not where you want to be. I understand the I understand that the reaction to that when you see this on the news, but mm -hmm. that's not where you where you want to be. Well, let's lock them all up in jail. Well, that's fine. Well, and you know what? Even in our own homes, we can get really mad at our family members over not never mind politics, just stupid stuff. Like if we can't even figure it out in our own homes, how on earth are we going to figure it out on a on a global scale? When you're angry at your spouse or your partner, even just thinking in your head for a second, who do I want to be in this moment? And what is going on with my partner? And literally in your head saying, I am sorry that you are in so much pain, so much agony, that this is the only way you can figure out how to behave, right? Now we're in a different state. And this sounds very ethereal and very difficult, but each of us in our own lives, in our own worlds, in the microcosm of our own homes need to practice this so that we don't end up monsters. Well, I think this is the thing that you're that you're saying is the world and your life, my life, uh, this life is your life, this life is my life. Hmm. Uh, that's the new song I'm going to sing is about what's going on inside of you yeah. and how you are responding to what's going on around you. It's not about whether the Democrats are in office, not about whether the Republicans are in office, not about cor corrupt senators. 
not about people not getting what they need or deserve. It's how do I respond to those things in my own head from moment to moment? Yeah. And are we acting from integrity or are we out of our integrity? Even just asking that question. And we know when we're not in integrity because we feel gross and we feel angry and we feel bitter and we feel like a sick feeling in our stomach. And when you are lined up with integrity, you feel powerful in a good way. I don't mean a sick kind of power way. I mean a really strong centered way. And raising our children this way to think about their behavior, to think about how they feel as, as emotional indicators, right? As a GPS system, am I out of my integrity or am I in my integrity. So the, the answer is we got to figure out all of this shit in our own lives, in our own homes, in order to even begin to have an impact in the bigger world. So that's my new t-shirt for the show. It's going to be mental health comedy podcast, figure out your shit. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm not kidding. Go figure out your shit, you know, but you're talking about a pause. There's a natural pause that occurs. Anger is a gateway emotion. It sits on top of other feelings. So you're talking about a pause here. If you take any kind of a pause, even if it's just to say, I'm really angry right now, yeah. you are a step ahead of the game. Yeah. yeah. You are a step ahead of the game because you're consciously, you know, do your own shout out. Shout out to yourself. I'm really angry right now. Yeah. I feel really angry right now. Yeah. Say it and it creates the pause so that you're not, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm talking to myself now too. I mean, these are all things that we all experience. It's not that we don't experience these things all the time. It's that not all of us get in the truck and go to Washington. Mm -hmm. Some people do, I see. I'm hoping that less people will do these things in the future, but some people do. But then the way to deal with that is, is really to go inside yourself, yeah. not to react to them on top of it, but go inside yourself. Anyone watching who thought that was a good plan should be watching and feeling way out of their integrity, like nauseous, sick, unwell at that whole scene. And that's an indicator. Just being aware of that. I am out of my integrity even watching this. So how, what can I do in my own life? What can I do or, to contribute in a positive way? Or here's just a question to ask yourself when you get up in the morning. Where am I at? Yep. What's going on with me? How am I feeling? Let me check in right now. I'm going to check in. Even just saying that, not even doing anything about it, just saying it, it gives you uh, awareness. It gives you space and good things happen with pausing. Good things happen with stopping. I want to bring in our guest. I also want to tell you about the new game show, Fight, Flight, or Freeze, <laughs> uh, hosted by neurologist Dr. Mark Schiffselbaum. It's fight, flight, or freeze, and it's an emotional obstacle. It's like emotional wipeout, and it shows what happens in people's minds when they're doing a game show. <laughs> and so I think you're going to enjoy it. It's called Fight, Flight, or Freeze. It's on the Mental Health Comedy Network. You'll see it soon. But our guest today is a writer, a producer, a stand-up, someone who has been involved with all kinds of shows from the ESPYs to SNL to movies, to live performances all over the country, all over the world as a stand-up, and to being involved with a great project called The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, which is a four-hour movie that appeared on HBO. It's Suli McCullough, and Suli, thanks. We're finally doing this, and I'm so glad. Let me just check in with you for a second. How are you doing? When you see what, what's happening in, in Washington, and we're going to get to some personal experiences that you've had with, with that kind of thing. What goes, what goes on with you? Hey, Ed, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing, I know I'm talking, jump right in. I'm talking, I'm talking like, I'm talking like I'm at a rally in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know why I'm doing that, but I really, I, I'm like, I've got a head up esteem. Yeah. Yeah. How, no. How, and I, how, and how I, are you doing? Tell, tell me about, tell me about you. I mean, that's a, that's a great, question. I think that I vacillate between creating a safe space to cope with everything that's going on, allowing myself to, to feel and react to what's going on, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The day of that attack of the Capitol building, I started off the morning at my storage. I've spent this year 
clearing out my storage, which is a whole nother thing in terms of going into the past and seeing what you need to get away from. So I figured, okay, I'll go to my storage in the morning. I'll put a couple hours in. I'll go back to my apartment and then make the shift and see what the rest of the day was. And I got a phone call from my daughter and she was like, dad, are you watching the news? And so I turned the news on and then saw what was happening and had to sort of react to it in real time. My initial feeling was while I was seeing something that was so upsetting and wrong and the thought of, you know, the president putting these elected officials in danger and rallying this crowd to violently attack elected officials, my first thought was, they're going to walk this back. They're going to find a way to reinterpret what it is that I'm seeing. Mm. And that bothered me. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it was like I had to put my honest feelings and my reality on hold to see how it was going to be redressed and reconfigured. I don't know why that was my initial thought, but I was already looking to the cleanup. We're, we're going to talk about two things today, like I said at the top of the show, two major events. Sure. Do you, do you think that you have that perspective because you've had to face those kinds of things due to racism personally in your own life? Well, uh, yes. And I think it extends even beyond racism. I think when you choose to pursue a career in entertainment, there's no guarantees for anything. You, you can't personalize it in a way, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, you don't get the part or you don't get the job or you don't get the opportunity or it doesn't lead to necessarily what you hope some opportunities lead to. You have to always sort of accept that and not take it personal and find a way to cope or those things are gonna consume you. And mm -hmm. of course, some of those things are informed by racial experiences. Even trying to have conversations about race I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, well, are you sure that happened? Or what did you do to contribute to that? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's this immediate feeling that you're like, oh, okay, I'm talking to somebody that's not even granting me my own truth. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like we're in that space with what's been happening over the past four years, where one person sees it one way. And just like you said earlier, those people that went to Washington and stormed the Capitol felt like they were justified and right in what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And whether that's the, the, the case or not is subject to interpretation and also subject to, to consequences and punishment. Because we also live in a space where the consequences are more important than the actions themselves, mm -hmm. especially with race. Like people are so fearful of being called racist, but have no problem doing racist shit. Yep. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a real thing that's been happening, that kind of political correctness. There's some kind of thinking that's going on, but underneath everything is the same, just like systemic racism. Like it looks, it looks a certain way on the, on the, the head of, uh, you know, on the top, but underneath there's a layer of shit. And it's all it's always been there and no one's ever done anything with it. Sure. It's like, and it's like and, the, and it comes with conversation. The, the good thing is that people are that, that, that there are conversations. But it's you know what, though, I, I will say this is it has to be honest conversations. And that's still a difficult place to get to with people. It you is. know, honest conversations are very difficult. And. I like the ideas that you guys are talking about with this podcast because you're directing it back to self and it yeah. starts with self. You know, you can always ask yourself questions. Am I being open? Am I having an honest dialogue? Am I open to hearing this person's? Yeah, am I operating from on? fear right now? Yes, 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 yes. We, yes. we, we don't know, we don't know that we, I mean, this is why mental health education, we don't know that it's a two-way dialogue that you have feelings and thoughts but you can talk to them 
Like, you know, it's not a one way, it's not a fire hose that comes right. up. You know, most people think it's autom I think automatically. I just think the thoughts that I think. I don't have any choice about that. Of course sure. you have a choice about that. You have a choice about everything that goes on in your brain. I mean, you are the thinker of your thoughts and the feeler of your feelings. That that observation, that taking that moment. And so what you're talking about too is that people are so unaware that they're afraid and they're so unaware. There's we have literally raised our children over centuries to not go inward, to not feel feelings. They're to be pushed away, ignored. Uh, it's somebody else's fault, drink something, smoke something, run mm -hmm. away from them. But mm -hmm. un understanding that feelings are information, trying to tell us something and they will keep coming at you until you listen. And that feelings need to flow through you and not get stuck in you because the, you know, the example of what happened last week on Capitol Hill is an example of feelings and anger and fear being trapped in you. But, you know, when you're having a conversation with someone and you have completely different points of view or someone's terrified of being racist, but really are contributing to the problem without ever looking inward and realizing it, you have to be able to look inward and challenge yourself and feel whole enough to do that. And so many people are not well enough to do that. And that worries me. Absolutely. Well, yeah, Absolutely. And, and sometimes there's there's a skill that you can do. You know, there are things that, you, that Jennifer brings up in her practice and in the show. Some of the things I haven't heard about before and they're new to me. And I just wonder if there's a you know, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to go we're going to go on with this. Sure. But Jennifer, is there a skill that we can practice? Is there something that we can do that may bring us uh, into the into the present, into the light, into the, and maybe this is something yeah. that people can do at home. Sure. I, I can think of something right now. And like, I don't want you to listen to think this and think like in the middle of a riot, you should stop and do this because when people are <laughs> behaving that way, they have lost it. Okay. They are in full fight or flight. They do not have access to their frontal lobe anymore. So this is when you're at home freaking out. Okay. And thinking, oh my God, what's happening as a therapist, I can't even tell you in the last two weeks, and especially my young people that I work with, my, my teenagers and my young adults, they are so depressed. I had so many who couldn't even get out of bed in this last week. Like, what's the point? Like, where are we going? What kind of world am I becoming an adult in? I give up. This is a huge issue for our young people. Um, but this is a very, very simple thing. And I'll, I'll have you both try it. And if you're listening, try it. And this basically kind of resets your system. And it actually has to do with resetting the vagus nerve, which is a nerve that really carries a tremendous amount of energy and information to the brain, it kind of runs up the center of the body. So basically, if you just put your, so put your left hand on top of your head and don't hurt yourself, don't wrench your neck, but gently pull your left ear to your left shoulder and then open your eyes and take your eyes and look up and to the right and actually try to strain your eyes just a little bit. So you're really reaching as far with your eyes as you can to the right. So you're pulling your ear and your head to the left and you're pulling your eyes to the right. And you're gonna hold that for maybe 10 more seconds. You know, just relax your breathing while you're doing this, but really look up and to the right. Then let go and come to the center. You should feel a weird little whoosh, like a funny little feeling. Now you're gonna do the opposite. You're gonna put your right hand on top of your head. You're gonna gently guide your right ear to your right shoulder, you're gonna take your eyes and you're gonna look up and to the left, as far to the left, up and to the left as you can. You're gonna relax your breathing while you're looking to the left. You do that for about 10 more seconds. Okay, then let go and come back to the center. And you should just feel this little whoosh, this little feeling. Can you guys feel that? I feel like Tabitha from Bewitched. <laughs> Tell me. That's that's an interesting reference. I like that. I want to know about that. What did they talk about on the show? They talked about systemic racism, the White House, and Tabitha from. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. okay. That's right. okay. Did you feel, that? Did you feel um, like a little centering? I, I did. I did. I, I felt it more on the left side because I think I did that better than the right. But okay. that's just that's just me for a first time trial. Sure. It's very simple, like, the, and this is just a little something that can just center yourself. Also, another ridiculously simple thing is put your hand on your forehead. Just cup your hand on your forehead and just kind of leave it there. And this is the universal sign for, oh my God, right? Why do you think every single culture on earth, your hand goes to your forehead? The reason that happens is you're actually uh, electrically and biochemically pulling the chemicals from your, your midbrain, from the fight, flight, freeze center of the brain, 
you're stimulating electrically your frontal lobe. It's like you're turning it back on, right? This is why everybody puts their you know, fingertips on their forehead when they're trying to concentrate. We have such intelligence in our bodies that we don't even know about. So even just doing that and dropping your tongue, just relaxing your tongue in the bottom of your mouth and you'll recenter yourself. These are little things that can help you. When you ask that question, what am I doing? Who am I in this moment? Try using these little things that can actually assist in grounding you and turning your frontal lobe back on because that's what makes us uniquely human. There, that's where our choices are, where our perspective is. And we always have a choice, always, over how we see things and over how we choose to react to things. And that's very personal and no one can take that from you, no matter what situation you're in. Those are great, great things. And hand on heart, hand on stomach. Mm -hmm. These are all things, that hand, holding your own hand. I mean, these are all things that, that anybody can do. This is not, this is not something that you, you have to go to, to therapy for. This is something you can do right now, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. So Suli, you had an experience, not a great experience, a very, very difficult one with a, an interaction that happened with a, a neighbor, a neighbor who was very angry and who had a, sort of a racist uh, attitude. Can you just describe that and, and tell us what, what, ha what you went through and, and what it was like to have that experience and, and what, you, what you did for yourself? Absolutely. Uh, before, before I get to that, can I, can I talk a little bit about Gary? Because I yes, I want you to talk about Gary. That, yes. Um, yes. That is, a, about that. That, that, that is uh, an important context for what took place in March. First and foremost, I was very fortunate to be, you know, to have Gary Shandling as a friend and a mentor. I met him in 1997. I had guest starred on the Larry Sanders show. I didn't know Gary personally, but I was a fan of his stand-up even before I was a stand-up. I just liked his style and his material choice. And, you know, he was just, he was hilarious to me. When I got cast on Larry Sanders, uh, I played a writer in the writer's room. It was before I became a writer, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, I did the the pain uh, pain equals funny episode. <laughs> <laughs> great, which is pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, so great. And you know, at that time, I was guest starring on you know other shows like Married with Children and Seinfeld. And as a guest star, you sort of come in. You're friendly, but not too friendly. You're basically a hired gun that comes in to not mess things up. That is the guest star experience. You know, you hope for the best, but you try not to get in anybody's way. Score and get out. And I expected that to be the case with this show. Gary and I ended up having a conversation on set and it was not a kind of casual, you know, oh, hey, how are you? Glad you're on the show. We actually started talking about Muhammad Ali and talking about Muhammad Ali in a way that, you know, it's rare when you connect with someone and can really go into the nuances of somebody that's a hero. You know, we had about a 40 minute conversation and I really came away from that thinking, whoa, this dude is not only funny, but he's in tune, is aware in a real way. That conversation bled into, you know, he really wanted to know what my experience was as a standup and, and navigating the, the waters of Hollywood. It was really unique. We had an instant connection. I ended up getting invited to his Sunday game. He had a Sunday basketball game that was invite only. The only rule that he had was you can't talk about the game. It was tremendous. Great group of people. Uh, I felt like it was like fight club, but with better jokes, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. It was like the first time, like I was a, you know, I, I played basketball and I played for a while, but it was the first time I was in an environment where it was partly about your basketball skills, but then it was also had this element of wit to it. And then we would also talk about like the events going on. Like it was a, it was, it was like being a part of this think tank and it was mm. super fulfilling. And it was like, like this very special oasis. Even though Gary was a Hollywood A-lister, 
I felt like I was just hanging out with a friend. And it was like this sort of protective dojo to help you navigate Hollywood. Mm. So I was friends with Gary for 18 years. I really spent a lot of time with him, maybe three to four times a week, the last two years of his life. We were writing together. Uh, I was helping him work on his stand-up material and vice versa. And we were also developing a uh, TV series idea called uh, Halfway to Hawaii, which was based on Gary Shandling's journals. In Judd Apatow's documentary, you see the footage of Gary going through his journals in his house. That was something that we shot for this project. And, you know, when Gary found his journals, that was real live in the moment. Like he had them somewhere, didn't quite know where, where they were. We, we found them and we shot him going through his journals, which was pretty incredible. So mm -hmm. that friendship, you know, Gary was a Buddhist and having that kind of access to him and day-to-day -day working relationship, I feel like I really learned a lot of spiritual coping skills that informed me in a way that, you know, not a day goes by that I don't think about him, that I'm not influenced by his teachings. It, it was a really special friendship. Basically, that is the context of when you're informed by somebody that is operating in that way, it changes you. It, it moves you forward as a human mm -hmm. being. I, I did want to talk about that in that sense of that's the person that I was influenced by. And when you lose that person, you don't, you don't just drop all those things that, you, that, that you've been blessed to, to sure. be exposed to. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, they become part of you. They are part of you. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thankful because the things that I learned from him helped me navigate some very difficult and treacherous roads in, in my own journey. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, anybody who I, I saw him a couple nights before he passed and I worked with him a couple times, but not I don't not near the relationship that you had with him, not not near that. But I did work with him once. I worked with Gary and Ellen DeGeneres together. Gary said, you're like a Jewish Johnny Appleseed, is what he said to me. <laughs> That's what he said to me. And I saw him two nights before he passed. And I saw yeah. him and I said, I said, how you doing? What's going on? And he, he just looked at me and he was kidding. He looked at me and he said, will you just shut up seriously? And I just started. I saw him two days before he passed. I wrote with him two days before he passed. Uh, the day he passed, um, we were supposed to write together. I actually was buying his coffee. Uh, I used to pick up coffee for him before we would write. And I, I quickly learned to stop asking if he wanted coffee and just get the coffee. You know, like it, it, the coffee wasn't the important part. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, get the yeah. coffee. And I found out as I was buying this coffee, my, my daughter called me and, and, you know, I was on my way to his house. Like it, you know, Jeez. it was, uh, you know, it's a, it, it was a difficult loss. It's hard to replace friends like that. Mm -hmm. Well, but what you mentioned, it's so interesting with Gary Shandling is, first of all, you know, he's one of the comedic geniuses of all time. I mean, that's that everybody knows that. But maybe not as many people know that he was constantly practicing spiritual. He was doing spiritual practices and he was constantly talking to himself. Yes. And yes. that's what he did in his diaries. It's all yes. self-talk. Gary, yes. be true. Yes. Be honest. Yes. Stay true. Yes. These are the things that he would say to himself. So he was yeah. very conscious about, you know, his his spirit. And this is very, uh, you know, that that's a great thing to follow. And that's why if you get a chance and you haven't seen it, watch the Zen diaries of Gary Shandling. You'll see Suli and our friend Judd Apatow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Judd Wayne, is, Wayne Fetterman. Know, there's so many people that were influenced by Gary that are, are carrying on uh, his legacy and his influence. And, and I really think Judd made a beautiful love letter to who Gary was. And, you know, if you're an artist or you're someone that really wants to be present and understand what your path is, I wholeheartedly recommend it. And it's in two parts. The first part is somewhat linear, but 
It gives you a, a great foundation as to what Gary's journey was. I think the second part is so compelling as to who he was and really gets into the spirituality. It's a must watch if you're looking for some sort of answers. Mm, fantastic. It is great. And and I was, I will never, I will always remember the way he talked to himself and his journals yeah, because yeah. that is going to guide you. I mean, even if, even if you just saw that, it's going to guide you. It's a great guide. Well, I would, um, I would recommend to everyone that's interested in, in understanding more about Gary, uh, GaryShandling.com is uh, a great resource and follow Gary Shandling on Twitter because I help out with the, uh, you know, foundation, you know, we post things from his journal and uh, a lot of his writings. And I find myself taking those things in on a regular basis. And I knew Gary very well, but I still get, get great things out of it. That's amazing. Mm. That's tremendous. Well, if you're, you know, listen, if you're listening and you're, you're a comedy fan, a comedian, you absolutely, there's no question that you, you study Gary and you study him for the, spiritual life of somebody who's in comedy that's why yes. you study him yes. we can pivot to the uh to the not so fun stuff i went through an experience last year in early march uh march 3rd actually which was election day not the big election but election day nonetheless i had picked up my son from school got him situated i i didn't vote that day and so my goal was to make sure I vote before the polls closed. I went back to my apartment. I had to use the bathroom. I figured, oh, okay, I'll park, run upstairs, go use the bathroom. I still have an hour and a half before the polls close. I'll be fine. As I was leaving my garage, a man charged my garage. He had this look in his eyes of pure rage. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, you stole my phone and I traced it to your garage. He happened to be holding a phone in his hand, which confused me. You know, I, I'm a pretty aware person. So I took it in. He had a girlfriend or a wife with him. And it was strange to have two people rush up into your space. Yeah. So I could tell by the look in his eyes that he wasn't quite right. And I was in a, in a, in a conflict. I was in a situation that I had to de-escalate immediately. And I was also assessing the fact that there were two people. Sure. You know, when one person comes at you, it's easy to just keep your eyes on that one person. But he had a wife or girlfriend that was five or six feet behind. So I had to keep my eye on both of them. You know, I tried to de-escalate the situation saying, hey, I don't have your phone. I share a garage with my downstairs neighbor. I was very logical in my thought process as to, to try and explain to this person, I, I'm not the guy you're looking for. Mm -hmm. To no avail, he ended up attacking me. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in, you know, my, my parking garage is in an alley. I knew there were cameras in the back, but I was in a situation where I was in a fight and I couldn't fight back. Yeah, It was difficult. Like some of the things that you talked about early on, I felt those things firsthand. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm not a weak person, but I'm also a peaceful person. In that situation, here was somebody accusing me of doing something I didn't do. And physically attacking you. And yeah. physically attacking you. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing the dynamic of where the world is right mm -hmm. now, I was conscious enough to know if I retaliate, I become the aggressor. Yeah to anybody that was in earshot or in that alleyway, it just looks like, an, a, like, like a black guy attacking a white guy. Yeah, and the story gets retold, which is what you were talking about right at the beginning with the whole story on the Capitol. So, yes. so, 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 so if it's me, I'm in there, I'm in your shoes, I don't get attacked, is, is that right? I don't think so, I don't think so. I mean, right. this dude, I could tell by the intention in his eyes and the rage in his eyes, he saw me, figured, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. And I feel justified to act any way that I feel warrants this situation. Right. And Even if you were the one attacked, Ed, it would be looked at differently. Oh, well, it would what, be. Was, what was interesting about this moment was there were some people in the alleyway. 
and I was asking anybody within earshot to call the police because my default reaction was, I did nothing wrong. I'm being attacked in my space. Let's let the police sort it out. Sure. Nobody would do anything. One woman was filming on her phone. And at one point, as I was backing up from this guy, I said, can you put your phone down and please call the police? Jesus. There was a guy. No, she didn't. There was a guy parking his motorcycle. As I was trying to avoid confrontation, I said, can you please call the police? The guy said to my face, I don't want to get involved. Wow. Oh, my God. And that was the toughest thing about what happened. Yeah. Here I was, an innocent person that was being physically attacked, and nobody granted me the right to my humanity. Yeah. And I was experiencing that in real time. Like, I'm thinking about this as a logical person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, hey, call the police. You know, just help out. Throw me a bone. Nothing. Nothing. But, the, but this wow. is the experience. So, so what you're describing... First of all, it's a horrific thing, and I can't be more, uh, it's so painful to hear you talk about this. Um, It's such a horrible experience. But also, there are two things going on. One is there's a physical attack. That's one thing that's happening. The other thing that's happening is that no one is helping. No. No, no. So, and as the victim, you could end up getting blamed for it, which is the third. Absolutely. Yeah. So no, there's a few my, things. Was, yeah. I was on my back. Like oh my God. when he shoved me down, I was on my back. And there was a moment where I was thinking, oh, wow, I'm on my back right now. Luckily, I had on a backpack that protected my head. But I remember that moment when I was on my back. I'm like, oh, I'm as, as defenseless as I can be right now. I could kick the guy, but like I said, the second you go there, you're in a whole different place. Mm-hmm. What makes this this worse is I was asking anybody with an earshot to call the police. Luckily, my next door neighbor recognized my voice and came downstairs, and a couple of other people in my building came downstairs, but this guy and his wife or girlfriend were able to go back to their apartment. They lived next door to me. And then I found myself under the lights of a police helicopter. And now he's gone, she's gone. I'm under the lights of the police helicopter. And this situation that was already bad is now escalated to the point where I now have to convince the cops that I'm the victim. Yeah. Oh my in a situation God. where they're coming into it in the 11th hour. They don't see anything that's taken place. And at no point have I retaliated. I've mm. completely been on the defensive. This is an incredible story for somebody who hasn't been through it to hear. And uh, I think it's a story that there are a whole number of people who have maybe not shared it to this extent, but that understand what you have experienced Mm-hmm. you know, who are black in America or, sure. you know, th- this is not a, you it's know, not this an is uncommon like, story. Yeah. This it's is like, Oh yeah, story. of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. That's what the police, yeah. of course they did that. Now my question to you is, so what do you do? Like, what do you, how do you recover? What, how well, does it, it was, it was interesting. Like, you know, it, you know, listening to what you guys discussed earlier, I did have that moment where when I was under the police helicopter lights, my thought was, oh, this is all bad. Like this situation now can cost me my life. You know what I mean? Aside from the initial attack, I'm now in a situation where the police are coming in and they've got to assess what happened and assess blame where a key element is missing. Yeah. So luckily I had the presence of mind to step out of the light of the police helicopter and step into my garage. Yeah. So that way, whatever information is being transferred, I'm in my garage now. So at least I'm not in the line of fire. The second I did that, two undercover uh, police cars show up in seconds and then one regular police car. So you have the presence of mind. These are the things you have to think about. You've just been through a trauma, but you've got to think of like a tactical 
a special forces person. You, yeah. you're, you're, you're thinking yeah. like an army, you're thinking like a member of the CIA right now, but you've yeah. just been through yeah. a trauma yeah. and you haven't done anything. I didn't do a thing. I tried to use my bathroom and then go vote. That was my objective oh, for the day. It's okay. It's actually a nightmare and it's everyone's nightmare and you lived it. Sure. Yeah. You know, just, just tell us a little bit about, a little bit about, you know, what you, what you did for yourself and, and how you recovered. Well, from that. it was, you know, that night was interesting because, you know, luckily my neighbors were trying to speak on my behalf, but there was that moment where as it was sort of shaking out and I had to describe my attacker and do the business of what an assault is, that's when the anger kicked in. Mm-hmm. Like that's when I felt that anger. Like you talk about that emotion of anger. Yep. Like before it was survival skills. It was all those tactical things to keep yourself alive. Yeah. And then the reality stepped in is like, wait, why am I in this situation when an hour and a half ago, I'm picking up my son from school and taking him to Chick-fil-A. And you know what I mean? Like I'm doing these very regular things and an hour and a half later, my life is on the line. Yeah. That's when I got angry and I had to, I had to breathe. I had to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to find my way back upstairs into my apartment, but I'll never forget that first night of trying to process it because you're still, you're by yourself. Yeah. You've experienced this thing in, in like, you know, I'm not a 20 year old. I'm, I'm a 50 year old adult. I'm trying to process, how did we get to this space in the world? Yeah. I, I'm influenced by Gary. I, I, I'm a peaceful person. I'm trying to be my best self. You know, I don't put out, uh, I'm not inflicting pain on others. And still all that negativity and rage came back to me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we're living in a society that looks at you as you're the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you've been through a trauma. Your body physically has been through a trauma. Yes, right. Yes. And whenever my my heart was so tight that night in a way that I haven't experienced, and I know that is unhealthy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my my heart was like a walnut. Yeah. Jeez. Well, and physically, what was happening? The the cortisol that was coursing through your body and the adrenaline that was coursing through your body is extraordinary. And then what happens in a trauma like that is your brain just replays it. I'm sure it just replayed it. Yes, oh, yes. Oh, like, and you live you it again and again and again. Like right? I, I went through this, that, that mental juggling of, did I do the right thing? Should I have fought back? Yeah, I survived this situation, but what was the personal cost? Like you're left to just process the trauma of everything. Right. And, and that's biological. Like your brain makes you do that because, okay, you were attacked, something tried to eat you. Like if we go very primal here, your brain w- will not let you stop thinking about it because it wants you to learn every single thing that you could learn from that situation in case that thing attacks you again. That's very it's correct. Not even, it's and not also, even in your- um, I'm also that kind voluntary of- Voluntary at this point, that right? wants to- uh, learn and grow from situations. Mm-hmm. You, you, you synthesize things and take what's good about them or what's not so good and go, okay, how can I approve upon this? Did I make the right choice? Like right, that's but this is biological at this point for you. Like your body yes, right. was yes. making you that's do this, right? Basic, it's invasive. Basic, and, basic and living. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's and, quite a thing. Like that's, that's what post-traumatic stress is actually. The other dynamic is this guy lived next door to me. So yeah. he's still wow. there. No, wow. he's not there now, but the the owner of the building next door ended up buying him out. There's a term called cash for keys. So they made them an offer to relocate. Wow. Wow. Jeez. But so at the time he was say, there. Like it's your, right? From this attack. Yeah. But that night when you're in bed reliving this, that idiot is right beside you. He's in your space. Yeah, he's in my space and yeah. was in my space for the next six months. Oh and I had two oh. other I had two other run-ins with him oh my god so he not arrested restraining order restraining uh i you know why was he arrested was he arrested well because that night the police told me they can't just go knocking on people's doors which was false information they just didn't want to so you know that's the whole other 
mental thing that you have to process is the situation. You're not going to get your due justice in that situation. No. And an assault in that sense is just a misdemeanor. So they're not even looking at it. Like the, the, the laws protect the person yeah. that assaults you and not yeah. the, unfortunately. Which is another assault, by the way. Sure, sure. Yeah. Like well, that, there, are, there are five going on in this situation. Yeah. I'm a logical person. And I tried to approach this in the, in the most logical way. I called a friend of mine that was a police officer that's a fan of my work. And I said, hey, this is what happened. I'm trying to get a little insight as to how I best navigate this situation. And the first thing they said to me was, you know, you can defend yourself in an attack. And they were adamant about that. They were like, you know, as long as it's in reason, you can, you can defend yourself. But that wasn't the issue. Like the issue for me was how do I survive this situation and go on with my life? And that would be also maybe true in a fair system. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. the other things. It's the other responses that are around you that are just as damaging as the attack. Yeah. Well, it, and, and that was the interesting part about processing all of this. The one thing that I did do that I'm very proud of, I, I had a friend that lived in Alaska. You know, it was very difficult for me to feel peace of mind in my own space. Mm -hmm. And they recommended that I come up to Alaska and just take in some nature. And I took them up on it. Like I said, I'm proud of myself because it was the self-care that I needed just being around nature and getting out of the confines of where this attack took place and pro like it was the smartest thing I could do for myself. Yeah. It allowed me to breathe. Yeah. And start some healing. And, and, yes. Yes. And, you know, what would Gary say about this? Now he wasn't, he wasn't around when this happened. Is that right? No, he wasn't around. And like I said, I, even that day I thought about him and I thought about, you know, some of his, his wisdom about being present. And we used to have these discussions about anger and, you know, how to understand anger and not let it cripple you. And I, I think he would have been proud that I chose to give myself that because I think yeah. my trip to Alaska was the equivalent of when he went to Hawaii. He would often go to Hawaii for you know, months at a time, he was looking at buying some property there. And I wish he would have done that because I could hear in his voice when we, when he was in Hawaii, how charged and alive he was, you mm -hmm. know, it was a place to go restore and plug in. And Alaska ended up being that for me in this situation. It's, it's fantastic that you were, you were able to do that. And what I'm amazed about in listening to you is the amount of conscious consciousness and choices that you were able to do in the face of a trauma like i don't understand that like i'm trying to relate to that because you're conscious like you said you did get angry you would have feelings oh but i was i was furious dude i was furious and i was furious at the point where the police were just doing their job they're like okay who attacked you what do you look like and you know like i was so at that moment the realization of this is happening to me. Everything that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be giving these guys a detailed account of what he looks like. And all I can think of is this rage filled white guy. Yeah. Because that's what it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, at one point, I remember saying to him, I said, dude, I don't have your phone. Like, I'm, I'm 51 years old. I don't have your phone. And he said to me, he said, I I'm 50. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was this weird moment where i'm trying to talk sense like yeah well you're talking to someone who's front who knows if he even had a frontal lobe to begin with but yeah. um honestly he was you're talking to a very primal you know part of the brain that's just not the thinking part of his brain was not online and the thing too about this is you know anger is a really important emotion Suli, as you're talking about this like anger is people give anger this negative rap it's a very important self-protective you know, healthy aggression is a really important thing. It is important to be angry. You should have been angry, right? But when you let it consume you, then it's something else. So what I'm hearing through this whole story, even though you were the victim in this story, you're also not living it as a victim, right? And, and whenever you're in a position of being a victim, then you have no power. 
if sure. you can be a better person from it, if you can help other people, if you can learn from it, whatever Gary would have taught you would have helped you not live it out as a victim. And that's, sure. Sure. that's where your true power lies. And, you know, I, I believe that, you know, we all make choices in life. I decided to be a stand-up. I decided to pursue these other endeavors. I've decided to work on myself. I've decided to be a, a, a growing living human being in spite of what's going on in the world, in spite of the negative messages that are being put out there about people of color and the, the, the dynamic of, you know, someone that doesn't look like you is your enemy. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I, I've made the choice in my life to lead with comedy because it's a way of unifying people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, what you're saying today, this is a very timely message for what's going on in this country mm-hmm. and, and the world, but it's a very timely message because the message is make choices about how you take care of yourself, make choices about how you think, what you feel, and how you respond to yourself. Something happened to you that's awful. But what's happening inside of you is you're navigating this. You're making choices. You're being conscious. You're figuring out, you know, how to take care of yourself. And that is what people need to do every day, every, you know, every chance that they're able to do that. I mean, it's not what's going to happen with, with in Washington. It's not what's going to happen with the administration. It's what's going to happen inside your head. Sure. This, this is what the change is. Yeah. Sure. And it's, are yeah. you going to sink or are you going to rise, right? Well, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And prior to the pandemic, I was touring the country with Sean Waynes. And we're, we're in a very divisive space in America. You know, I feel it as a comedian. When I go into a comedy club and I walk on stage and I can tell there are people in the audience going, okay, can I be open enough to let this guy take me on a journey? Do I trust him? Is he gonna make me feel bad about maybe some stuff that I'm carrying? Mm -hmm. And so I made a decision, even though I was like a former Tonight Show writer and I know how to write current events jokes, I made a conscious decision when I was touring that I'm not gonna draw from that space. I'm gonna find the places that connect us as human beings and go from there. And in that way, strangely, my act became political in a different way. Hmm. Because if you like somebody and you feel a connection to them, it's hard to view them as an us versus them. You know better than anybody on stage, it's really not about what you say, it's about who you are and how you are. Yeah, and how people feel about you as a person. Like, I've always been lucky because, you know, I've had a high degree of likability on stage. That helps. That helps a lot. When you walk mm-hmm. on stage, people don't feel threatened or they don't feel like, oh, this guy's going to make me feel bad about myself. So right. that gets you in the door. Right. And hopefully you have some jokes and some point of view that leaves people feeling like, like something good just happened. This is, again, it's the same theme, is you're making choices about the quality of your life, well, about how you live. And that's how change happens, right? That. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. That, that will be, and that will be the divide. We're going to wrap up with this because you've got to come back because we have more to talk. We have a lot more to talk about. That is the thing about the divide. The divide is imaginary. It's not, it's perpetuated by the media. It's, there's no divide. The divide is you listening to other people, connecting with yourself and connecting with other people. It's not an us and them kind of thing. When it comes down to the basic things of life, everybody wants the same things. Everybody wants the same thing. There is no other. Yeah. There's no other anywhere, but go inside first. Go yeah. inside first, check in first, and then listen to other people, listen to them. And I want to thank you, Suli. It was thank such you a pleasure. So much. Such Thank a pleasure. Oh, thanks, guys. This was this was really great. Like, I mean, I literally was taking notes on my phone, listening to the early part of this podcast. So I'm really glad that uh, that I could participate, and you know, I got something good out of it. So well, thank you, and thank you for sharing all yeah, of that. And very and brave. What What's so important for all of us is is it really is we're such a polarized world, but we always have been. Yes. 
So we can focus on the destruction, the anger, the bitterness, but there is always an opposite to that. So all of that negative energy that has been building up in this whole country and probably in the world, there's an opposite to that, which is change and growth and togetherness. And it sounds so corny, but love, honestly. Well, I was, I was waiting till you got to that part because that's really what it is. Yeah. Like, it's like you can choose love and there's yep. nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And, and self-love is a big part of it. Yeah. You and we cannot do that for we someone else if you don't do it for enough. yourself. We don't give ourselves enough self-love and yeah. we don't reward yeah. self-love. And it's we're true. taught to defer that to a, a later date. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, yeah. it's okay to love yourself. The most important relationship you will ever have is the one between you and you. And yeah. I don't think we teach that. I don't think we live that and we need to. It is a practice every day. It is a practice. And I don't mean a practice like a chore. I mean, it's an opportunity to make little choices, tiny little choices. I'm going to take a breath here. I'm going to mm -hmm. take a pause here. I'm going to give myself that. How am I doing today? What's going on with me today? What's going on with other people today? I just want to thank you all for listening to this, the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Suli, a pleasure. You're going to come back. You please come back. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah, you guys are great. And awesome. uh, yeah, you, you've made a fan. <laughs> great. Well, I'm a fan of yours always. You, you come back and we have more to talk. We have a, you and I have a lot more to talk about. So we're going to we're going to do that, too. So Suli McCullough, Jennifer Kalari, thank you, as always. Oh, and welcome. subscribe. Find us wherever you find your podcast. You can go to Make Light Media make light the word make light one word uh, media.com you can find everything there or you just pick us up wherever you get your podcast and keep coming back it works if you work it i'm ed krasnick for jennifer kalari and suli mccullough we'll see you next week take care Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.